Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. We're headed to prison in the South for a film that Zach has described in his mind as better than that redemption flick. We're closing in to the end, but we'll have a cool smile on your face the whole time. It's Cool Hand Luke this week on Zach on Film. Interesting. I'm really interested in what you just said. You think that this is this was going to be better than Shawshank Redemption? I think this movie is better than Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Tell me why, please. Um, One, uh, I believe it's much shorter, a much condensed story. <laughs> Uh, so that is a is a is a good thing. I thought uh, from a structure, I thought this film was uh, built better through the the mechanisms of film language, and I thought mm-hmm. they used some really interesting cuts and zooms and uh, some crazy cool helicopter shots. Yeah, uh, I thought technically this film was great. Uh, it didn't rely on a <laughs> a god in the sky to tell the story which is interesting we'll get into that an, an overarching narrator True. for the film but it didn't have cool hand luke crawling through a mile of his own shit to get to freedom uh, ah, spoilers <laughs> yeah. uh i mean it did have a lot of interesting uh things there there are a I mean, lot of parallels. interesting there are a lot things of between this between, and shawshank yes uh which was really interesting uh to watch uh, uh, I, I, I agree with Zach over here, boss. Disagree with Zach over here, boss. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't think that it had a lot of parallels with Shawshank? No, I do. I don't think it's a better movie than Shawshank. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Counter, Matthew. I believe that Cool Hand Luke and Shawshank Redemption are are of two different eras, telling a story with similar trappings. But I think that the point of Shawshank Redemption is how the system cannot break. A single person, whereas the story of Cool Hand Luke is how the system absolutely can break a single person, but in so doing, that single person can actually be an inspiration to other people. Mm, interesting. Rodrigo, do you think Cool Hand Luke <laughs> was broken in this movie by the system? Uh, yes, I do, but ahead of time. Like... Basically, I think this is the story of somebody who was broken by, basically, by the United States, by right. going mm-hmm. off to war. Before he and, Yes, prison. before. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back as basically this cog in the system, and they don't know what to do with him. And he doesn't know what to do with himself. Okay. Um, so, I, I will, I'll disagree that, you know, it, like... The system doesn't change him. He is that same weird animal all the way through until the very end, where he most likely dies. Um, yeah, no, he's yeah. He's you, who, dead. How many? Who many? How many think he's dead? No, oh, I think he, dead. I dead. think he, oh, I think dead. it's dead. stronger if he's dead. Okay. Yeah, he's but dead. technically, you don't see him die. There's an argument can right. be made. Uh, uh, so, wasn't intentionally planned, right? But like Ben-Hur, the story of the Christ from our last Zach on film, mm-hmm. there are a lot of religious metaphors mm. embedded in this movie very, very much intentionally by the creator. Yes. One of them is this idea that we see Cool Hand Luke being driven off to the state hospital with a bullet wound in his neck, presumably to die. 
but he could live. Mm-hmm. He could have had a life after that. And there is enough belief and faith that Cool Hand Luke would survive that his followers mm-hmm. in the prison start telling tales about him very much like the disciples would have done with mm-hmm. with Jesus. Right. That's only one of the religious metaphors. Well, and, you know, after he eats the eggs, when they leave him lying right. on the table right. in yeah, the crucifixion pose in right. his underpants, mm-hmm. I mean, that is as overt as your Jesus metaphor gets, as far as I'm concerned. Visually speaking, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did you say if you thought this is better than Shawshank? Um, I, I mean, you don't even, you don't even have to give an answer. I don't even care. Yeah, I hadn't, I, I hadn't really, care. really thought about the two. Um, I don't think I've seen Shawshank Redemption all the way through in one sitting. Really? So mm-hmm. I really couldn't, couldn't weigh in on that. A, I, I'll, like I'll tell you that I, like, neither of these movies were my favorite, so I... You know, don't didn't give it didn't give that sort of thing a lot of thought. Okay, I don't know if this is better than. I would say these each have strong. Well, you know what? I would probably say yes. This movie is better than Shawshank hmm. because Shawshank, I think, moves at a oddly slow pace. Yeah, um, it's almost like uh, Tim. Uh, what's his name? Um, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, kind of is shuffling through just a lot of the scenes. Yeah, as opposed to. Paul Newman, who is very purposeful and right. energetic, and it seems like He's, everybody in the Shawshank prison there is very slow and well, moving, and this that, is drama. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing about Cool Hand Luke is, it was made at a time when you could just make episodic movies. Yeah, yeah. That See, that has gone away, and by the time Shawshank Redemption came around, it was it was a dead right. trope, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you movies had hadn't been episodic for a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, and we keep comparing this to Shawshank. There is a more obvious comparison in our recent Zach on film history for me than Shawshank. This movie is structurally damn near identical to One Flew Over the Cuckoo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It would yeah. be very much, very much similar to that. The comparisons, and this is not, I don't know if Zach did his research or what, but this movie has been compared to Shawshank Redemption in that uh, Tim Robbins' character and Paul Newman's character, both inner prison and through their methods of not being broken by the system, uh, end up changing everyone around them. So in the case of Tim Robbins, he goes in and he makes good with the cops uh, by doing their taxes. He gets in good with all the other inmates and he's got everybody on his side. Same thing happens with Cool Hand Luke. He comes in and nobody likes him. He keeps to himself. On uh, Saturday, he gets the crap kicked out of him, I think, to make a point mm-hmm. that oh, you yeah. can't beat him. And everybody, all the inmates suddenly have a greater pride and respect for him. Maybe some of the, the prison guards have a greater pride and respect for him because he's willing to take that beating. Uh, but then by the time they do the 50 egg bet, um, the prison uh, population and the guards are totally behind um, uh, Paul Luke. Newman's character, Cool mm-hmm. Hand Luke, uh, because of what he can do and that he is this good guy and that he motivates everybody else to, I don't want to say be better, but to try to yeah. beat the system in that, hey, guys, if we if we run and we just bust our asses trying to lay down this asphalt, we'll be done two hours early and they can't make us do anything but have those two hours of mm-hmm. off time. Yeah. But Andy Dufresne 
succeeds because Andy Dufresne refuses to change in the face of that situation. Andy Dufresne's sense of self is so strong that even 20 years in, you know, in this prison, this terrible situation, doesn't change him because he's that strong, that centered a person. Luke is exactly the opposite. Luke's kind of got nothing. And I mean, he makes that explicit in the film. Nothing's a pretty cool hand. Luke gets by because he doesn't have a strong sense of self. And the things like the death of his mother that crushes him halfway through this movie, the moment where he won't fall, where Dragline keeps punching him and punching him and punching him and he won't fall, that doesn't feel like Luke being incredibly strong to me. That feels like Luke being willing to die to prove a relatively senseless point. So again, where you have that similar arc for the character, I feel like Luke is... Andy Dufresne is kind of like, if you, you know, if we have to case it in Jesus metaphors, Andy Dufresne is the saintly Jesus walking on water, teaching lessons, and Cool Hand Luke is the angry Jesus tearing down the, the temples and throwing over the, the chunks of money. This is all I know of the Bible. Then, and smashing the, the gamblers and all of this. And they're, like, they're and like singing of, while he does it. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's two different aspects of the same thing. Andy isn't broken because Andy can't be broken. Luke isn't broken because Luke's already broken. Yeah, that goes along with what Rodrigo had said earlier. Mm, yeah. By the time he gets into jail, he was already broken yeah, when he's, he's cutting the heads off parking meters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the <laughs> I very love first that shot. Scene. And if you, I again, if you want to go in symbolism, just, you know, Jesus goes to the, uh, to the uh, market and kicks oh, out all sure. the bankers. He's basically doing the same thing uh, here. A quarter um, of the time. Yeah, one one twenty five cents at a time. Yeah, I think actually parking meters were a nickel in nineteen sixty eight. So I don't know. That's, I remember in the eighties I was paying a dime. So you can use your debit card now. It's pretty fancy. What? It's the future. You ever done that? You no, can probably. And I, and I you can probably you just hold your phone up to it. Now. You probably can. God. Now, awesome. did anybody else notice? And this this is kind of my thing. This is what I do on Zach on film. And I've said this four times, and each time I get one up. This is the biggest. Hey, it's that guy movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've ever seen since everybody the last from uh, Paul Paul Walton to uh, Dennis Hopper yes. as the uh, yeah. crazy Dennis guy. Uh, the original Trapper John, Wayne Rogers is in this. Harry Dean Stanton and and Dennis Hopper are the same guy in my head. So seeing both of them on screen, do you remember Mork for Mork, Mork and Mindy? You remember Exidor? Yeah. The mean guy with shades who isn't, or the mean the mean boss who isn't the guy with shades is right. Exodore. Yeah, hmm. and the and mean guy uh, with shades is ends up being like the bad guy in like every eighties TV show. Yeah, and going did like fifty five episodes of Gunsmoke. I have to watch Gunsmoke. Yeah, and Dog Boy turns up. Uh, the guy with the dogs, Anthony something. Oh, they killed my dog. They killed my. That guy is like a super scummy villain in everything. I mean, everybody in this movie is somebody else in my head, which I think Do is kind of cool. I don't know where the, uh, the uh, this idea of the man with no eyes, uh, if it originated mm-hmm. in Cool Hand Luke or not. The the, the not really a warden, but the guard. Yeah, he's right. the head. The he's, the head shade. he's the head head boss with the mirror shades. Yeah. Um, but boss you know, God. at the end of the well, towards the end of the movie, where he's getting beat up and his glasses get knocked off. Right. Notice that he is covering up his eyes while he is scrambling to find his glasses. So mm-hmm. uh, the 
it's it's interesting the 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 Jesus metaphor is interesting because in Oh brother, where art thou? I was going to yes, say because yes. in Oh brother, where art thou? There is a character that who is very very strongly hinted to be the devil. Right. Mm-hmm. Like uh Tommy believes him to be mm-hmm. the devil. Um and so if you were to apply that to this, which you know, you could, you could take that read. Um you know, in the end Jesus's death triumphs over the devil. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, like one of the very last shots that we see is the car driving over his shades, right. basically yeah. but, taking away his power. But the weird it's thing is, Godfrey who killed Luke, he shot him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the weird thing is, though, you, it's funny that you brought up um, um, "Oh Brother, Where Art well, Thou." That was the first thing that I thought. That was the first thing I thought of too, yeah. because <laughs> if you go see "Oh Brother, Where Art There," when he loses his shades, he reacts the exact same way as the man with no shades yeah. reacts in this movie. Yep. Now. Cartman, I don't know if when his shades have ever been knocked off in uh, South Park, if he's ever kind of uh, wandered off hiding his eyes trying to grab the a, shades. Because the yelling about his authorita. Yeah, his authorita. Yeah, well, which is, and so this is one of the great things about being able to watch these things, Zach, is I don't even know if you'd watch South Park, but if you've watched Cool Hand Luke and you see Cartman riding down the street in his little big wheel with his sunshades on saying, You will respect my authority and we have failure to communicate. Mm-hmm. It's all from Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that uh, it's very interesting. Very, very, for a n- number of different reasons, satisfying. This movie also brought back a lot of bad memories. Oh, oh no. no. I got to tell you, it brings back really, really terrible memories. Oh, ex girlfriend? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that time you were in prison? <laughs> yes, that time I was in prison and. Uh, and the girl in the tight dress decided to be a good way to tease me and, and <laughs> soap down the, the, uh, the car. Wow. Um, almost. Uh, I grew up in the country. Mm-hmm. Grew up on a huge plot of land. Uh, <laughs> our front yard was an acre, right? Mm. We had a big ditch. Big ditch that runs <laughs> down the front of the, uh, front of the property. Mm-hmm. And uh, could not take the riding, was not allowed to take the riding lawnmower down into that to, to oh. roll it out. So... Didn't use a weed whacker. Didn't use a push mower. My dad went out and bought a bushwhacker wow. like they're using in this movie. Wow. And I did that many, many a summer. Wow. Blisters on the hands by the end of the day. I mean, we're it's literally so talking sore, sure. 50 yards mm-hmm. of ditch that wow. if you're standing at the middle of the ditch, it's about shoulder height um, on that. And just... Swing you, that back while, and while forth. You were, while you were doing it, was your dad just like standing off on the side? And then like, if <laughs> you wanted sitting, to take off your chair, yeah. you were like, taking it off here, boss. Uh, <laughs> take it off, Steven. Take a, gotta take a bathroom break, boss. Go ahead, shake the bush. Shake the bush. Um, but no, I, I have I have those memories of spending the summer in the <laughs> by the end of the day, just swinging that thing back and forth, back and forth. And that's Come how on. you had to get it done uh, because um, it wasn't something we did every week. You know, when we mowed the rest of the grass, it was like, Eh, probably, probably four times in the summer. Yeah, I would have you to go and take right. care of the ditch, and it was done that way. And when that blade, when the thing got dull, ugh. So I have a lot of sympathy for the chain gang, sure, <laughs> for the yeah, hard labor that's good. people. A lot of hard work. Um. So yeah, never shot a well, never held up a rattlesnake while someone else shot it. I've done that. Well, I mean. Well, I've, he, I've he shot a snake, but I've not held it in my hand. <laughs> he, while, did, he didn't uh, shoot it. Made. It was actually he had he had a, a machete 
I didn't realize it was a rattlesnake until I already had it up, too. Oh, okay. You're talking about your experience, not yeah. Cool Hand Luke. Yeah. Me, me personally, yeah. It was actually my cool cousin, Elwood. We were sitting there, and a snake crawled across my boot and was going across his legs. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to grab a snake. I grab the snake. The snake's like, uh, ah! But it's okay, because he had a machete. Why did my cousin have a machete, you ask? I don't know, but... Were you out in the country? Yeah, we were yeah, out. That, that we happens. Used to go camping <laughs> yeah, that, that totally happens. <laughs> <laughs> but we got any chopped the head off. You, you guys, you kids have it so 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 easy these days. Mm-hmm. Put your put your uh, put your iPod or your iPad, mm-hmm. your iPhone in your pocket, your pod, and you go out and you catch your grass. Yeah, I had a Walkman. <laughs> yeah. An eighties Walkman see, here's with the, only one cassette. See, here's the thing: is like. I actually think that you had it better than I did, probably because I had a disc man. Oh, which man. means skip. like it's yeah, it's like <laughs> you had decent audio quality. I didn't, and Zach was fine again. It's like <laughs> my generation actually got screwed because we had to listen to CDs. Yeah, yeah, and it skipped like crazy. Except you had the one cassette for the whole time that you were out sure. there. And you, you probably had to play? change the batteries twice, and the ear pads got really nasty when oh, it got sure, sweaty. Sure. So. I'll tell you what we had. We had a dog chain. That you would hang around your neck, and I had an eight-track player. It was a KTEL eight-track player that you could wear around your neck. And we didn't even have headphones. You had to listen to your music and share it with people from the eight-track player. Matthew just had like a giant boombox that he carried on one shoulder. <laughs> love on one hand. Yeah, I love one hand. And one time I went into the pizza place, and they yelled at me, and yeah. I got killed. And it was terrible, and Zach on film is now actually my memories of my life. Oh, we really well, went off track here. Yeah, um, a little bit, a little so bit. let's talk about Zach. Talk about uh, Girly Girl, the only female in the movie, and her part in in this. Oh well, no, film. there's two. There's Luke's oh, mom. And Luke's mom. mom. Sorry. Yeah. Luke's mom. Uh, what do you want me to talk about? Joy. The, what's her the name? Girl? The, yeah, the, the sexy Lucille. Carl oh, Lucille. Um, the only one who found no Joy Harmon in that at all. Probably. Probably. I mean, because she's hot. She's a, yeah. A she's good looking. looking. Girl. It was very interesting. She's a, she's a well, again, uh, if you're looking for how this movie impacts society and culture, true. look at every uh, you know sorority car wash scene in any movie. Yep. Look at any even adult movies true. where a car wash is involved, and it is pulling. <laughs> it is pulling directly from Cool Hand Luke in that one little uh, scene that lasts like thirty seconds. Yep. If you watch that. a lot of movies that have the. Uh... Eh, I've seen a few movies where you know the car wash scene comes into it, and it's always like the breasts up against the window, yep. and the things mm-hmm. pop off, and the bending I mean, over, and the, like, uh, and, then, and then suddenly the sun is shooting. I want to say the Charlie's Angels Full Throttle yeah. has like a car wash. Yeah, yeah. Car oh wash yeah. Scene. Every I mean, uh, Dodgeball has a great scene like yeah. this. Uh, I mean, those, like, car wash scenes are are are, are a staple of the time in like the early two thousands. Uh, besides that, I mean, it was really interesting, mainly because it just sets up uh, a lot of uh, like bad blood, kind of between oh, dragline, uh, and- dragline, and Luke, or uh, yeah. and not even in that moment, not even until he just can't shut up about it. He just won't stop talking about Lucille in bed. Uh, in in their little uh, hut, he just won't shut up about yeah, it. Yeah. It's it's so funny. At the time of this movie's release, now, you know, uh, Lucille in the movie were believing to be just a young girl, mm-hmm. 
out teasing these guys. Mm-hmm. Right. She was, she was almost thirty. Yeah, she was yeah, almost she was thirty. I can see that. I mean, that is was twenty seven. She was yeah. twenty seven when that when that scene was filmed. Yeah, and again, don't get me wrong. It's not that she's not an attractive woman, and it's not that you know she's not well built. I just I didn't find that scene sexy. I kind of found it to be a little disturbing. Oh yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, it's totally. Oh, no, if, if you were weird. to believe that she is not over eighteen or right. at eighteen, and you've got all of these guys leering at her, and then the follow up where just the mention of oh Lucille, 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 Lucille drives guys to have to go to the bathroom to take care of stuff. Yeah, it is a little creepy. Is yeah, especially we're just because. When it's punctuated by uh, shot of girl watching car, come back to guys in chain uh, chain gang. Uh, go take my shirt off now, boss. And like, yeah. and they're just not. It's not even they just can't even focus on that. They have to throw in like the boss thing. It's just really weird. Like they're prepping for some weird thing. Like they can't even control themselves because they're so uh, yeah. horny at this situation. It there was some definitely. Uh, ickiness about the whole situation. It's, certainly, it's certainly. George Kennedy. I mean, I have never liked George Kennedy in anything before this movie, but George Kennedy is always like, you know, uh, the the colonel from uh, the from the police academy, not police academy, police squad movie. Yeah, George Kennedy is an old dude, even though in this movie he's probably he's an old about dude. forty. He's an old dude. Uh, he was like born in this movie. He was born in twenty five. So subtract sixty seven from that, he would be forty five. Yeah, forty two. Forty two. He's our age. And I look at this, and he, he well, 42 in 1967 is the equivalent of 62 now, I think. 42 is the new 23. But yeah, I, I look at that, and it's just creepy. What do you think about his transition, though? What do you think about his transition of a character from being an anti-Luke person to giving him his name and then becoming his most devout follower? I, th- I think it was... I like that. It's interesting, but I don't feel like that character ever truly got what Luke was mm-hmm. trying no. to instill nope. in the people in the in the prison camp. He always felt like he was just a groupie of Luke. He, he couldn't break away from Luke. He couldn't imagine not having that guy in his life and not also trying to be like this main head dude. Um it felt like Luke was not only like anti-establishment, but just like anti-relying on anyone in general. Even right. like your like main people, it's like stop holding on to people for comfort. It's like you don't need them to be yourself or to be okay. So like break away from that. And I don't think he ever got that. And clearly he didn't, especially by the end. The thing about Dragline is he's. And, and, you know, it's inherent in the name. He is not an actual leader type character. He's set up at the beginning to almost be the antagonist. But that's, you know, something that we find is because he's just the biggest and the strongest. He got, you know, he got in this situation and he became who he was. He became an established pseudo authority figure because he could punch harder than anybody else. But what he was really looking for. And, you know, we see this at the end where he jumps on the truck with Luke. He was just looking for somebody to actually follow. And when we get to a point, you know, it's it's the same thing. When the bosses tell him what to do, he finds his niche in that establishment and he works the best he can doing what he can and running his little side bets and pushing people around. 
when Luke actually shows up and seems to have an idea of a, of a greater plan, he's immediately, he's, he's dragged, drag line, huh? stay with me here, into that whole thing. So that I really liked. He started out as this hard case who thought he had everything figured out. New guy shows up and throws his whole paradigm off. And, you know, he, him turning makes more sense than having one of the other guys be his main acolyte. Okay. What else you pick up from this movie, Zach, that you want to go um, go down? First, I, I, I just want to acknowledge that everyone in this movie is horrible at running away. <laughs> they had a, a truck, presumably with, I would say, at least half a thing of gas, and they made it just as far as Luke did running on his own two feet. They ended up in the same place where Luke got chained up. And they didn't, like, how did they not just run away completely? Like they didn't even, they couldn't even. Then there's no way they should have caught them. And then they made it a mile and a half in a truck with no one following them. I am curious how you guys took this. Um, did Luke run away to get away, or did he run away to get caught? Did he run away to get killed? Well, I th- honestly think the first time he ran away, it was yeah. to screw with everybody because they're like, Luke, your mom's dead. Yeah. We're going to lock you up because we know that you guys go crazy and this is what you guys do. And we're going to try to, and he's running away to say, Oh, you think you know who I am. You really don't know who I am, but I'm just going to follow along with your crazy little games. And he's doing everything that he can jumping back and forth across the fence and trying to throw off the hound dogs. And he said, what he got like a two miles or something like that. The first time he ran away, Mm -hmm. um, which seemed like a lot of effort, uh, to throw off the hound dogs when he could have just run. Mm-hmm. Um, so it almost felt like he's like, come on guys, you don't need to put me in the, in the, uh, in the box. I'm going to now start messing with you. Yeah, that, that's he had said his goodbye to his mom. He, yeah. He was, I felt watching this that he was over and he knew that her death was coming. So it wasn't like a shock that he had to get away and he had already said his peace with mm-hmm. his mom and all that stuff. He's singing a sad banjo song. Yeah. Plastic Jesus. Yeah. I, to some degree, I think that, first of all, Luke is not good at getting away. Zach is 100% right. Andy Dufresne, one time, planned, set up, (laughs) escape, executed. You know, if we're going to do that. But Luke has three separate half-assed escape attempts throughout this film, and none of them really gets by because I don't think Luke really knows why he's trying to escape. There's a there's a point where they're running and Dragline's like, you know, I only had a couple of years left. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, you'd be you'd be out in no time. I mean, Luke is in this this correctional facility for two years, basically. Yeah. For it basically misdemeanor some sort of something. He's gonna spend two years in here and get out. He's running away, he's trying to break out because he doesn't know what else to do, I think. I mean, the, it's in well, his nature to, to rebel. That's certainly the thing is he doesn't know what to do with himself. That's right. why. What he's, are you rebelling against? I mean, what do you got? That's why he's cutting the heads off the parking meters at the beginning. It's not because he has something against the city government right. or anything right. like that. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm yeah, drunk absolutely. and I got nothing better to do. Exactly. He, Two he, years seems a little excessive, though. But yeah, does. he does not know what to do with himself. Like, and that's that's basically what the movie is. Is like yeah. when there is something. Um, like I don't necessarily want to be say like a challenge, but basically when there is a wall, 
what he does is he throws himself against it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, Dragline gets in his face, he's like, okay, let's box. And he just keeps going and going and going until he almost, like, yeah. basically until Die. he passes out. Right, right. Um, and then when they're like, Luke, do not escape, he's like, okay, I'm going to escape. And then he yep. keeps trying it until it kills him. Like, you know, to a certain degree, he never stops cutting those parking meters. Uh, but watching this thing, it's we, it's really I said not. I've seen this movie once before. Say what? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I had a little delay there. Go ahead. Oh no, no. Um, the, he never stops cutting the heads off the parking meters, basically. But right, right, right. It's he never articulates and says, "Well, it's because the system, blah blah blah." I mean, it it really is just that he just doesn't know what to do with himself. Mm-hmm. I said we'd seen this movie once before, and I'm wrong. Because we've actually seen this movie twice before. The first time we saw it, the character was named Jim Stark. And he came to town as the new kid. And his dad, Thurston Howell III, tried Mm -hmm. to buy him a new thing. And even though there's an actual girl in that movie, it's really the same thing as Rebel Without a Cause. He's in a situation that he doesn't understand that he can't control. And so he just throws himself, smashes against the walls around him. For no reason, without knowing why or what he's going to do. And, you know, the same thing happens with McMurphy in, in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I'm wondering if they if this was made again in the 80s, because that covers the 50s, the 60s. Yeah, uh, Footloose, man. <laughs> Holy crap. No, that guy definitely has a cause, and it's dancing. <laughs> dancing. <laughs> dancing. Um, what else, Zach? Uh, from a technical side... I thought, especially the first half of the movie, uh, and really you can just pinpoint that egg-eating scene as something truly wonderful, as an exploration of the zoom lens, uh, as um, kind of an editing style influenced by French New Wave that we saw in... Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, like really mm-hmm. crazy, yeah. going crazy with with with, with the cuts, uh, in a lot of the first part of the movie, especially that egg scene again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that well, I thought was just wonderful. I mean, some of the very first things that we see is the parking meters, uh, being oh, yeah, like, uh, violation, like violation, violation, violation. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, some really really good things. Uh, the editor, I actually looked it up because uh, I do those things every once in a while. Who is uh, Sam Osteen? Who we have. S- work we have seen before uh in zach on film as he was the editor of chinatown ah cool yeah oh he also did uh notably rosemary's baby and the graduate that makes a lot of sense yeah the graduate makes a lot of sense yes i can see a lot of yeah so there you go sam osteen an editor we have seen <laughs> I see what you did there he's a poet and he didn't realize uh, so that was really good I thought there was two helicopter scenes mm-hmm. shots that were really well executed, and I think the first one, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't it start with like a really long zoom out, and then you start going away, or is it just like a... F- Is that the, oh, like, like the ditch? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it didn't feel that maybe, way to maybe, me. I, can't remember, I don't remember Pacific. Maybe it was like coming back. But they back probably, they like had, to do, they probably had to do something like yeah. that, because... Uh, when that shot starts, you do not see anything blowing around. And a traditional right. helicopter you, uh, would have been blowing stuff everywhere. like crazy because then when you get to the wider, higher up shot, you do see dust and wind yeah, whipping bit. some things around. So, yeah, you're probably right. They probably were yeah. 
a ways away with a zoom lens of some um which is interesting because i saw a really short video this week is about three minutes long um about a student uh trying to get their PhD in like film history and stuff. Uh, they condensed down their dissertation to like a three minute video of the history of the zoom lens. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but it was, it's it was really interesting. It's, it's, on my, about, it's on my feed. To watch. Yeah. It's really good. It's really nice and quick. And it talks about oh the development of the zoom lens and how uh, it was really used in like wartime reporting for a while. And then really transitioned in the TV for usage and talked about like sporting events and things. And then it started really uh, coming in to uh, uh, of the film world. So this is an interesting. We've talked a lot about yeah. the disadvantages or how to successfully use Zoom. We've seen a lot of examples in some really interesting ways. And really, uh, they use some Zooms in this film, um, which I don't know were the best, but I thought there were some really interesting... Yeah. Like, the last shot of this uh, is really... It's just really... Stra- it's really strange where you... Yeah. Uh, was the people like in in the little prison hut, and then you get the like the superimpose of Luke with the the babes, uh-huh, and then you yeah. just like this really like long zoom in, like and you get in like in his eye, and it's not even like yeah. centered or anything. It's just like offset. It, it it's is really yeah, strange. It is super weird. And yeah. here's the thing: like one of the last lines, like they're talking about his smile. Yeah. So I thought it was weird that they didn't zoom in on his smile. They yeah. like zoom in on one of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so weird. Yeah. And that feels so weird because the rest of the film doesn't have any weird camera tricks to it to speak of. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like yeah. say reality TV. Yeah. But, you know, it's just kind of a, it's it, the camera follows and isn't really doing any stuff to make you aware of it. In that last scene, you're like super creepy aware of, oh, they just did a little crossfade effect and a zoom and it's it's terrible and I don't like it. Well, maybe it was to hide the fact that the uh, torn-up picture uh, put back together had a cross right through the middle of it. <gasps> oh, wait. And they were at a crossroads. That's correct. <laughs> oh, well, and that's where you go meet the devil. Everything goes – well, everything goes down at a church, too. Yep. yep. Um, the video that Zach is referring to is – you can find it on Vimeo, uh, The Hidden History of the Zoom Lens by Nick Hall. Yeah. You do want to see that. So. Yeah, and uh, if you go there – uh, I don't know where you got to click, click to get to his, like he put a website with a lot of his research and stuff. Uh, some really cool articles. Some guy rails against uh, the Zoom and says pretty much it's only been used good in film like twice or something. And it's just like uh, yeah, the worst piece know. of thing ever. I really don't like, I mean, you know me. You you, yeah, yeah, you had me you. as a teacher. And how you. many times did I say, put it on a damn tripod and stop zooming your lens in and out. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't like it. There, there are only a few times where it seems to be used effectively, and that's in, like, Vertigo and in Jaws, uh, where they're doing the dolly zoom. Hmm. Um, I think those are really the times where I think it's there's used plenty, effectively. there's plenty of awesome kung fu movies where it's yeah. used effectively. I, yeah, I can see that in, in some of those cases. What about, but uh, what, uh, people, uh, what people end up doing is... Uh, they just zoom for no reason. Right. An unmotivated and, zoom is one of the most jarring things. Mm-hmm. And because if your zoom isn't planned, you've got a 30-second zoom, and you're like, well, we can't use that for our entire shot. And so you cut in the middle of the zoom, and that's even more jarring. Yeah. So, yeah, I really don't like it. So well, well, uh, the website, uh, zoomlenshistory.org.uk. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's some good stuff on there. Uh, I think it fits well into a lot of what we've discussed with Zach on film over over the years. 
let's see. Uh, Matthew wanted to yes. talk about any th- something about why does everyone have to die? Anti-establishment. <laughs> but what is it when you re- we referred to it, and you've referenced it a couple of times, and maybe in this show, those 60s and 70s kind of auteur movies where people are like, you know, we saw it in Bonnie and Clyde. We well, saw it in Taxi Driver. We saw it in Cuckoo's Nest. So what? It, what is the flip side of those films? Wow. What is the flip side of those films? Nobody leave it dies. to be, leave it to Beaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Julie Garland, Judy Garland, and uh, Mickey Rooney get together and put on a, on a show. White right. Christmas. Um, everything that you know. These films anti-establishment are called anti-establishment for a couple of different reasons. One is because. Uh, they're railing against the system of the government, especially Vietnam era movies, and that's what's going on here. Right. But it's also it can be seen from from the movie perspective of this is not the happy ending that you get from all of those other movies that you're going to time and time again. This is more real. This is more yeah. what life is like. Now, granted, that's you know the the nihilist downer uh, perspective <laughs> yeah. of well we're all going to die and uh, I, I think but i mean from from that perspective this is the flip side of white christmas yeah i i think uh, the reason why uh, in all of those movies specifically uh, people die is because definitely for this one and for uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest it's because the protagonist doesn't fit like right, right. the <laughs> only the only way out is death the yeah. only way well, that they're ever going to find peace in a world that they don't understand and don't fit into is that I think Bonnie and Clyde is different for two reasons. One, um, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an Mm -hmm. actual historical thing where the people got shot. Um, and then the other one is, um, it's kind of, uh, a like crime doesn't pay kind of story Mm -hmm. too. like, uh, you know, we've seen this over and over again and, and, and as, uh, not just, total film buffs but also colossal comic book nerds we've seen that idea before of like well we can do a cool movie about crime and have all this awesome crime stuff and sex and guns and booze and all this stuff as long as everyone dies at the end the censors are going to be okay with it because they're like oh well they got their comeuppance even though the entire movie actually glorifies crime yeah Yeah. uh and it's but if you look at like in 55 Plato dies at the end of, of Rebel Without a Cause, but our main character survives. And then we get into the 60s and the 70s and, you know, Randall McMurphy dies and Luke dies. And I, I firmly believe that Travis Bickle dies at the end of Taxi Driver. Hmm. You know, it, that, for me, that's that's the realistic read of the story. And it feels like there's a point in the 60s and 70s where everybody goddamn dies. And I'm trying to figure out. Well, and it's, again, it's just like, you know. Uh, the characters are killing themselves. The, the filmmaker is killing the characters. Uh, again, this anti-government, anti-war, you know, we're all dying. What's the point of dying? You people need to wake up. And if, you know, these characters are, are dying, we'll think about what's really going on in life. Um, you know, we, we we're not watching Easy Rider in here, but if you go and listen to Dennis Hopper and sure. um, uh, Fonda talk about this, it's like, this is a movie about, people who are not part of the establishment who are going out and doing drugs and we were freaking high during this entire movie mm-hmm. and we edit it very mm-hmm. much like we were experiencing it and so it was this kind of slice of life kind of thing I, I, I know that it's it seems somewhat troubling that all these movies are downers and I think we have talked about that before where you know this time period between you know 65 and 75 is really super Debbie Downer material well, 
There's and, there's only two genres. There's only comedy and tragedy, yeah. you know? Uh, and I think... And, and then in 1980, after everything was smoothed over, uh, Rambo. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, if I mean, we're looking at a couple films from three decades that we're really re- referencing here. Uh, I'm sure if we go back and look at the entirety of film released, it still probably follows the same story structure of Hero Lives at the End, which is why these films stick out more, because they're not only railing against the establishment we have in our real lives, but they're also kind of going against the general narrative that we accept in films, right, which is why right. they stick out, which is what you've seen other things. I mean, really, Frozen does the same thing. They buck the tradition of Disney right. things, and they just do it in a different way. True. Right, right. And, that is and, very, very true. Yeah, and and I would say eighty percent of the hype around Frozen was that. Yeah, and then the rest was that song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. let it go. Yeah. And then uh, and then Adele Dazim really yes. really Adele, really, that, that really just nailed it. <laughs> really put it in the box office. Yeah, thank you, does, does John Captain Travolta. Willard lived through the end of Apocalypse. Now I was too depressed to remember. Uh, Charlie Sheen's character. Uh, Martin Sheen's character. Martin I mean, they're the same person. They just yeah. uh, well, in Hot Shots, they're the same person. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that he does, doesn't he? Does yeah, he, does he yeah. so sail away back on his boat yeah, after he, he, so yeah, he gets space. We can we can figure that that trend is over by 1979, and we can get back. That's what I said. Hot by Hot 1980, Hot. look what happened. I mean, if you look at if you look at the trend of war films by this time period with Cool Hand Luke and Apocalypse Now and 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 the stuff that's going on, it is definitely the war is bad. Why are we supporting the war? Why are we supporting the government? To then, like I, I mentioned, by the time Rambo comes along, I think literally in 1980 is when Rambo came out, maybe 82. Um, this is now, the man is now fighting back against being put down and beat down and looked down upon. Uh, it says here it came out in 2008. What? <laughs> uh, so yeah, by the time you hit 1980, now you're taking these um, anti-heroes and you're turning them into... Uh, killing machines going back against those people that they feel that that wronged them. If if Cool Hand Luke had survived and there was a sequel made in 1982 uh, of Cool Hand yep. Luke 2, Luke would be back and he would be hunting Luke's down back. all the people that wronged him in uh, in his time in prison. Cooler Hand Luke. Uh, 82 was First Blood, which was kind of yeah. not really a Rambo oh, yeah, sorry. movie per se. Well, that's, no, that's... it was Rambo movie. That was that well, was the yeah, but it that was the framework for everything else. That was John Rambo coming back Rambo, home or coming into Ram- a small community and the community uh, pooping yeah. all over him and throwing him off a bridge and he comes back and he kills them all. No, no, that I, I'll give you eighty five. I'll give you First Blood Part Two. But yeah, it, it's a good point, and I, I want to point out that Zach just made the the blew my mind one of the smartest things i've ever heard zach say so Thanks. you know if we're still giving him grades he he wins this the internet on what, this what did zach say i don't know uh, he was, he was frozen. he pointed oh, out frozen, he pointed yeah. out that the a inversions. lot of the movies that we're watching are kind of iconoclastic mm-hmm. you know they they're just i would i was on a, a podcast recently god dang it i forgot the name of it. do you remember zach uh movie oh. beatdown movie beatdown thank you with um uh james um <laughs> Spader? No, not James Spader. <laughs> James B. <Dan>. Kinnison. <laughs> James Kinnison, yes. Who did our closing theme song over at the Major Spoilers podcast. Uh, he does a movie review show critique analysis like this, but it's all based around the Save the Cat book that I've mentioned multiple times uh, on this uh, show. And I think it would be fascinating, Zach, for you to read uh, Save the Cat and then look at movies like Cool Hand Luke and Frozen from that perspective and really mm-hmm. see how these stories are crafted in a very specific way um, yeah. following these 
I don't want to say accepted guidelines, but these very familiar methods for telling stories, almost like uh, Man of a Thousand Faces, where mm-hmm. these stories are told again and again and again. They're told right. different ways, but they all have these same themes, same um, juncture points uh, that really tell you something more about ourselves as peoples yeah. and how we uh, interact with each other in society. It's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um for what it's worth, the movie that I was on, the, the, the movie we reviewed that I was on was Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I love um, that it, It's a great movie, Put and it's crazy to, to follow that Save the Cat method and see what the themes are throughout the film and, and how it really works. So I think you could do the same thing with any of the films that we've talked about oh, here, sure. especially since these are films that have been put into um, the, the, the Library of Congress yeah. uh, best yeah. movie list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for what it's worth. Cool, cool, cool. I got no other point besides that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and hand. And uh, save the cat too. See what I did. Yeah, I do. Um so Aubrey watched this with me. Oh, okay. And um Didn't she, like it? No, hey, she actually said you, that Paul this, Newman's a good looking guy, man. Good looking guy. That never influences any of her movie movie likings, at least in this selection of films that we usually <laughs> we watch. Uh she, there's just so much against. Yeah. She said uh, surprisingly, and we'll get to that. Why it's surprising that uh, she liked this more than other stuff we've watched, more than probably most of the things we've watched together mm. for this. So uh, I don't know what to do with that. Why I, did she say why? No, and like, I'm wondering if she, she can't I, even usually explain. I it. don't think she would say that uh, that Paul Newman's character feel feels very relatable. I don't think she would say that. No, but I think she'd say that he feels more believable. Than some of the other characters that that she's seen in some of the other films. I'm just I'm maybe just gonna, it's slightly worrisome that she liked this movie more than a lot of other stuff. Uh, well, actually, that's what the no. that's what it is. It's like I don't even know what it would be at this point. Like, and sometimes I her ask her. Sometimes I do, and we'll, and we'll get this. to that. Uh, so we're about about 20 minutes from the end of yeah. the film. I gotta pee. It's yeah. a problem I've been having in movies recently. I miss mm-hmm. about a minute and a half of it or so. You, know, you can I go buy uh, either a catheter or a diaper. Oh, what I really I need to do is yeah, or you just, just not stop. have a giant yeah, soda I don't need I need, to stop. I need to pee before. It's like I'm doing it in the car. I need to pee before. Yeah. Maybe not drink the entire spray yeah. and then I'll, I'll be fine. Anyways, <laughs> it's a problem. I was at home. I can pause it. It's fine. So I pause the movie and I think I said something about uh, what do you think about it? And her, and she says, "Well, I just don't get the point of the movie." <laughs> so, which is well, and that kind of goes back to Matthew's question: If why does everybody sure. have to die at the end? What's the point of everybody? No, well, dying? No, that's, that's super valid. Yeah, yeah it's not e- to that uh, is true. But what I was just like, what is the point of any movie? Really, I mean, at the end of most things, it's either some, it's either. Uh, get entertainment from it, um, in any form, like entertainment of I wanted to cry, I wanted to laugh, I wanted to be excited, uh, I wanted to just zone out and not think about anything, or um, I wanted to feel something, I guess, and even I don't know. Well, what about what about we go to movies to be presented with new ideas, sure, be presented with new facts and different takes on things that we can't experience ourselves yeah. through our interactions. I mean, obviously, do the right thing had a profound impact on you, yeah, uh, when we watched it. You have no point of reference from that based on your 
your growing up and where yeah. you live and, and those kinds of things. So that has a, you know, you can go to movies to have a different experience mm-hmm. and different take on these things. Sometimes, though, you can watch a movie like Cool Hand Luke, which seems very depressing, as Matthew said, where the character dies at the end. Same way with Chinatown, where yeah. the characters die at the end. They don't get together. They don't, they don't fall in love. And it just seems very, what's the point if these people can't live happily ever after? I, I don't... And sometimes it is to... Sometimes the point of a story isn't happily ever after. Sometimes it's there's right. a deeper meaning, meaning that you have to dig for. Well, that, that's I, I, don't know, I don't know that that's what she was getting at. I think... No. There's something sure. about Cool Hand Luke... The whole movie feels very unmotivated, and I think mm-hmm. it's the yeah. character, the the fact that our through character is very detached mm-hmm. from everything. Like I watched Cool Hand Luke, and I was like, "Why did any of the things that happen in this movie happen? And, like and why none care, right? of this movie needed to happen." And go back right? to if and- you think about it from a like a sensible person standpoint, Luke should have just served his time and then he'd be out yeah but um we're so used to movies now uh, our point of view character is and and not now but always our point of view character is someone who's supposed to be relatable who is then put in extraordinary circumstances Mm -hmm. right right this is kind of the opposite this is an extraordinary person not necessarily in like although he is very charismatic like this is a strange person actually put into kind of a mundane situation Mm -hmm. and like again, just because he's shaped in a weird way, yeah. just kind of brings down the system around him. And I th- I don't know when I've said this before. I said it way early on in Zach and film. Probably it was um, one of our after recordings. I-, I did say that I'm not particularly fond of movies like Apocalypse Now and Cool Hand Luke, and with the exception of Chinatown, which I think is brilliant. Um, uh, but one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I'm not big fans of these kind of movies, maybe because of what like Aubrey is saying is because what's the point, but because they do seem very downer and very, what is the point of, of this? So well, that, what's the message I'm supposed to get away. But I think that that is the thing where it's like, okay, maybe it's time to dig a little deeper and find out more about what was going on in society at the time. You know, I, we've talked about, I know when we've talked about this in, in terms of star Wars, why that movie was such a profoundly impactful movie at the time because we had been Vietnam. We had been all of these movies which are super downers. We are going through a time of uh, conflict in our society. Mm-hmm. We are All these terrible things are happening, and then suddenly people go and see Star Wars, and it is total escapism fantasy, and it's not like anything that's on the right. screen at the time. And it blows people away. And it gives them that chance to say, oh, man, we can take a break from all of this other stuff that we've been put into. So sometimes, I think sometimes also it's like what's going on at the time well, maybe a reflection of that movie. There's a lot about these movies where um, it depends on who you are and your upbringing. Sometimes because it's different from the stuff that's happening in the movie and it's fascinating. Right. And sometimes because there is something resonant to it. I have, this is the first time that I've watched Cool Hand Luke all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I've, but I've spoken to people before who are like, oh man, Cool Hand Luke, such a good movie, like such an awesome movie, such a hilarious movie. And like, yeah, going back and watching it, I was like, I think I was talking to somebody who was deeply disturbed. <laughs> the only, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. like, and 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 I don't necessarily, <laughs> I mean, there think are... that's a maybe they weren't disturbed, but like they're 
their life experience is so different from mine yeah. because <laughs> I would have never categorized Cool Hand Luke as a hilarious movie. There are but I can quote picture, unquote, antics. Yeah, I can picture that guy, like, from the beginning, guy just, like, chopping off the heads of uh, um, the, <laughs> the parking yeah. meters. And I can just imagine this guy that I had talked to just laughing, just being like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, how are those guys at City Hall going to react to this? <laughs> and I was just, like, the whole time I was watching this movie, I was like, that guy is a, a space alien to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I am not getting the same thing out of this movie that he was. It was interesting because uh, when I watched it, the egg-eating scene, we both thought was utterly disgusting mm-hmm. to a point of, like, oh, look yeah. at his bum. Like, yeah, I yeah. want to throw up just watching him put, a, like, 50 eggs in his mouth, right? And I was reading Roger Ebert reviews of it, uh, and this was, like, his 2010 review of it, uh, which he does. You know, he'll review a movie, right, and, like, right. 50 years later, he'll do it again. Because that's his job, is Ebert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he talked about... Uh, in his original review, he thought the egg-eating scene uh, was funny. And I said a lot of people in the theater thought that way. But said, now yeah. looking back on it, it is horrifying because it is. It's terrifying. His stomach is about ready to explode. He should be throwing up. It's yeah. The experience of watching this movie, and it's one of those rare movies where, tonally speaking, watching this movie is what it must be like interacting with a character like luke the movie is basically aimless and lackadaisical but so charismatic in the way that it tells you a whole bunch of these stories that lead up to a man being shot in the neck and left to die by sadists in the back of a van you know the the film itself is kind of a reflection and i think people get drawn into it because it's so you know that that tar the road tarring scene i i admit it i was i was into that oh yeah that's a good scene good scene they're, they're all running and they're they're having fun and they're like we got two hours what do we yeah. do now nothing yeah. interestingly that that road tarring scene is very similar to the uh boat stealing scene from Uh-oh. oh yeah uh, from Kugus Kugus. yeah yeah. Um, Kugus, yeah but but yeah it's like Todd actually that's bad, bad memories of that summer i had to <laughs> to steal a boat yeah <laughs> no i had to go tar right? um the that's actually a really good point that a lot of movies don't necessarily do is like he like that's actually a really good point, Matthew. This movie is like its protagonist. Mm-hmm. It is kind of weird and aimless because you can have a movie about a weird, aimless protagonist that's told in like a very economical style or like a very, um, or just like a very open style or something like that. But yeah, this movie is like all of a sudden we're like somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just kind of seeing the like these random adventures and then a rattlesnake gets shot. Yeah. And then it just gets frantic, right? And like people are escaping and all this stuff is happening. And then the main character disappears. Like, and mm-hmm. we're, we don't see the main character for like 10 minutes. And then he comes back. Yeah. Really interesting. I would bet that if you look at these movies that were popular at the time, you have to see which one came out first. Bonnie and Clyde, I think. Um, I bet people just like today said, that's our template. Now, granted, Cool Hand Luke's based on a book, right? Yeah. Um, but that they went actively out finding tales that fit into the same Absolutely, yeah. format and just, well, let's find things that are similar to this and let's create the same thing. If it's popular, let's regurgitate it again and again and again. And in the hands of creative people, you can have some very stellar results. Well, yeah, technical, like, it's, it's the thing is like... Um, 
you know, I'm not crazy about the Hobbit movies, but technically speaking, like as far as the the artistry of yeah. them, there's a lot of new interesting things yeah. happening with them just, you know, from like the super fast cameras and mm-hmm. the being shot in 3D and all mm-hmm. these interesting things that are happening around them, even though I'm just like, meh, well... It's actually less interesting Lord of the Rings stuff. I, you know, it's really weird over the break. Mm-hmm. I purposely, because I thought the third one came out this week for whatever reason, not next week, or two weeks from now, right? Yeah, two um, weeks from now, I think. I was like, well, I'm going to watch these two Hobbit movies, so I'm geared up to watch the third one. Mm-hmm. And I sat down on two different nights and watched them uh, all the way through. For whatever reason, I really dug them for so re- uh-huh. for some reason. And maybe because it's been... Watched it in the theater, haven't watched it since. Sure. Kind of mentality. And I don't know, there was something about it that just like, there's a journey here, there's some growth here, and maybe seeing them so close to one another, mm-hmm. you see more of the theme ties coming together mm. as opposed to, oh yeah, that movie from a year ago, what are they doing again? And, and that kind of stuff. I, it was fascinating. I am kind of interested, I'm really excited about seeing this third installment of the film. Battle of the Five Armies. Five Armies, yeah. I, I don't, I still... With the Hobbits, still do not like how the second film ended. Mm-hmm. I I, yeah. I honestly think that if they it wanted to in, if they wanted to make that film act as a standalone film, should have been the Battle of the Lake Town where Smog is killed, and then that sets up the Battle of the Five Armies. You know what happens next instead. But this is not even related to this movie at all. But <laughs> watching those two movies back to back, I suddenly saw why they ended the movie where they did because they wanted to make a third movie well they wanted to make a third movie but each of the films has two main action sequences a big main action sequence midpoint of the film and then a big main action sequence at the end of the film if they had put three action sequences at the end of Hobbit 2 Desolation of Smaug 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 um, they would not have had two big action sequences for the third film Sure. So the third film will open with a big action sequence, and then it will end with an even bigger action sequence. So that's the only thing that I can figure out why they did that. But uh, I, I still don't like how that second movie ended. Sure. Yeah. I looked real quick. This movie and Bonnie and Clyde came out like 10 weeks apart. So they were probably in the pipeline at the same time, but they're definitely influenced which, by Which studios? Uh, Bonnie and Clyde came out August 13th from Warner Brothers 7 Arts. And the one that we're watching, yeah, we talked about Seven Arts. What? Cool Hand Luke came out from who? Did I miss something? Cool Hand Luke came out from who? That's what I'm looking at. It's not working. My internet's broken. When I try to use the internet, Warner Brothers Seven Arts. Yeah. So they found a formula and they said, this is what we're doing. So there you go. Seven Did she enjoy the movie though, or, or was she yeah, just yeah, like yeah. this was a waste of my time? No, she said she has enjoyed this one more than recent things we've watched, including Interstellar. Uh, no, she really liked. I'm just, just for films of this, she really oh, okay. she really liked Interstellar. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I knew we I know we said we weren't going to do a uh, podcast last week, but I ended up going to see Interstellar on Sunday, and I was so both in awe and angry at that movie that I mm-hmm. was needing to talk to somebody about it. Underwhelmed. Kind of. I couldn't talk to Brian Ibbett because he had just seen the movie the next night after me. So I couldn't talk to him. And Scott Johnson, I think, only saw it this past weekend. Mm. And um, 
the only other person I knew who was uh. interested in this film was Zach, and he went and saw it on Tuesday night, and mm. he had time to think about it. And on Wednesday, we sat down and recorded a major spoilers um, movie special on Interstellar, where we talked about what was good and what was bad about that film, why I was angry and also why I was in awe, Zach's total love of all things quantum phys- physics. Yeah. And you can go and find that uh, movie special both on the Zach on Film feed and the Major Spoilers feed and the Major Spoilers Podcast Network feed. Yeah. Uh, so I would encourage you to go check that out. Um, so there you go. Anything else, Zach? Um, let's see. I think we covered everything. Oh, the other thing Aubrey ever said was, were all these old movies only considered the best movies because they're the only movies that were ever made back then? I go, nice. No. Nice. No, not, not quite, but great. No, okay, great, so great. Great idea. There's... There's kind of something to that. Um, there are a lot of similarities between these movies, and there's thematic similarities. Like sure. I-, I can see why they were like submitted to the Library of Congress because it's like, oh, this is the first movie to ever do a zoom that Stephen likes. Yeah, kind of. You know <laughs> yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah. thing is like I mean, these guys got it reason, right. Then, yeah. You know, but also there's a lot of these thematic similarities. And when you think about maybe the people who are inducting these movies into mm-hmm. the thing, it's like, we've, well, you know, we've talked about that. We've talked, talked about that, that before. It's, it's open like, to anybody to do that. Yeah. So in 1967, just for a point of fact, 2,882 movies came out yeah. in uh, 1967. Uh, how yeah. many movies came out in 2000? I mean, I'm pretty sure you can know how many films have been released in America by that weird number at the very end of the movie. Yeah, that tells you what the Yeah, movie it's is, like yeah. 40,300 and something. I'm like, good gracious, that would take you forever to watch all those movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> Zach on Forever film. Zach on, on forever. forever film. We start at one, and we end never. I'm trying to find the complete up. list of how many movies were released in 2013. They don't have... All these places are like, well, click here for part one. Click here for part two. Ooh. None of them are saying, well, here's the number, total number. That's just a lot of film covers. Yeah. Gracious. Uh, here we go. This may not even be the most updated. Um, no, this isn't it either. But we are sure there was many, many films released last year. Yeah, and I'm just trying to figure out... I mean, I think it's interesting that if there were over 2,000 films released in 1967, right. and these include the small films to the big blockbusters, uh, it looks like... Two th- uh, let's see. According to IMDb, it looks like 687 movies uh, in theatrical release uh, in 2013. Wow, that's, no, that's really r- weird. That's quite low. Yeah. Wow. 2013. What year was that? This is the last one. The one we just had. All right, Zach, wrap us up. Yeah. Uh, So that's going to be it for this week's episode. Um, If you've been following Major Spoilers uh, on Twitter, you will know there have been some issues with Majorspoilers.com recently. So hopefully I look at Steve and say maybe this will be up by Friday, the site. Uh, maybe. It's possible. Regardless, people should be able to get this uh, podcast in their podcast feed. Yeah, you'll get this. You'll get this awesome. So, but you might not be able to go to the comment on this uh, this episode page and share your uh, comments with uh, what we've talked about or uh, just on cool and like in general. If you want to share your comments, you could hit me up on Twitter. I'm Zach Wolf. Steven is at Major Spoilers. Uh, Rodrigo is at Fearsome Critter, and Matthew is at Mighty King Cobra. You can share all of your thoughts with there. We always like that. 
Uh, do you hammer uh, your Christmas shopping with Amazon.com link at Majorspoilers.com? Uh, it's going to help the site out in these times of switching uh, servers. Of these deep, dark times. These deep, dark times of, of Major Spoilers. 1960s movies. Yes. Uh, uh, so you can stop all of your holidays. It's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to help us going. Next week, we'll be talking about a movie I'm very excited to watch. Once again, we'll be talking about Terry Gilliam's Brazil on Zeppelin Films.